Well, hello there. This is Laura Camacho. Welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast, where we learn all the secrets to communicate better and get people to do what we want. That's basically what this is about at the end of the day. Get that promotion, get that raise, seal the deal, get your kid to make up his bed, something like that. Uh, This is episode number 165. Believe it or not, that is a lot of episodes. And today we have a guest who is actually a personal friend and an intellectual property attorney. She is a super strong communicator. She knows how to be clear and to be charismatic. And you're going to love our conversation. Today is a great day to become a better communicator, to learn some tips about winning people over and winning people over maybe in shorter time. So uh, we're going to welcome Angie Avard-Turner. She's a, like I said, an IP, intellectual property attorney. And she has offices in Southern Georgia and Pelham and Atlanta. And she has a third office either in Sea Island or Savannah, Georgia. So she has three locations. She's done very well. And I, she's just a great person. You're, and so interesting. I learned something from her. Even I talked to her uh, like 10 days ago and she gave me an idea about a collaboration and I already moved forward on that. And it looks like I'm going to be collaborating with a company that does things like greeting cards and stationery and paper goods, find high end, super high end paper goods. And well, I, I will not tell you the secret yet, but it's going to be a very cool collaboration. So more to come on that. So today we're going to talk about negotiating with Angie. And just let me remind you, I have the book, The Practical Guide to Effective Communication, which has a a communication style assessment. It has tips on presentations, but like chapter by chapter, it's on the use case basis. You just read the chapter that you need that for heaven's sakes, this is not, you know, a nighttime thriller reader. This is a book designed to be useful to you, to help you get your way, to get the green light, get the promotion, get recognized and so forth. So let's turn to Angie. So one more thing I want to tell you about Angie is that she helped me with, this is a few years ago, a non-compete clause. Of course, I don't like those because I'm the one that is the one that can't compete with when I <laughs> sign to work for person, but Angie was very helpful. So Angie, welcome to the Speak Up podcast. I'm very happy to have you here. I've told, you know, everybody that you are a fantastic intellectual property attorney. You have a lot of creatives and you help people that are not necessarily quote unquote creatives. Of course, I believe that everybody's creative, but tell us, how did you do that? Like, how did you get to that? Because you're such a, I wish you all in the audience could see Angie. She's extremely stylish all the time, but you can't. So take my word for it, or you can look her up, but she's very stylish and uh, she has a lot of uh, business interests also besides the attorney thing. So just tell us a little bit about your career journey. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's always a treat to talk to you. One of my dear, dear business friends of many years. Um, But so first of all, I, from the time that I was really little, I knew I wanted to be an attorney. I guess, you know, you kind of have, you hear those stories about like, oh, I wanted to do this since I was this, this tall. 
And so I fall into that category. Um, But I also had this sort of creative part to my brain. And, you know, I mean, I think it came out in bits and pieces as a child and even as a teenager and, and even college, but didn't really know. I mean, I saw glimpses of it, you know, but at that time, like you either took piano or painting, like where I, where I was growing up. So there weren't all these other potential avenues to sort of explore creativity. And so my backup plan, I told my parents my first term in law school, well, if I fail out, I'm going to become an interior designer. (laughs) So that makes sense. But anyway, but I didn't fail out and um, I graduated. And then I, um, we, I lived in Michigan. I went to law school in Michigan. And then we shortly after that ended up moving back to Georgia, which is where I live now. And, uh, interviewed with a couple of firms and that didn't go quite like I thought it was going to go. I actually had one firm say, well, we can hire you, but we can't pay you or we're not going to pay you. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that is not going the way I thought it was going to go. So that day I just went straight home and was like, I'm not practicing law. I'm not going to be that statistic of I'm going to, you know, go do it and then be miserable and hate it. You know, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do that in careers where they get going and they settle for something and then they just kind of stay stuck in it. And I was like, I'm not going to be that statistic. So I'm not even going to start. <laughs> I made oh, okay. so I didn't start practicing law. I passed the bar. I did all the things, but then I didn't start practicing law. So then I set out and sort of started really investigating this whole creative piece to me and started, I started teaching myself Adobe <laughs> you know, just in my spare time and, um, and started creating different designs. And anyway, long story short, decided to start a company. And when I started the company, it was built on these colorful pattern filled designs that I had come up with. And I had this whole idea of how I wanted them to be marketed, how I wanted them to be in retail stores. I had, I had this whole vision and I don't know, I guess I was just like a any other business owner that starts up, you know, maybe, or maybe I'm not, but I I just was like, well, I don't think I'm going to fail, but I, but I wasn't planning to, for it to just take off. So that was, that was a mistake on my part. (laughs) Um, Always plan as if you're going to succeed. So anyway, I did that, that business for 10 years and it did take off and I was not prepared completely, but I learned a lot along the way. And through that process, we exhibited in Atlanta and New York and Dallas. So it was a lot of travel. And along the way, I had creatives ask me, business owners ask me all the time, you know, well, what about copyright law? What about trademark law? What about all of these things that apply to these businesses? And I was like, I don't practice. I'm just trying to take care of my own, my own little red wagon here. And um, so when I decided to pivot out of that business and start my practice, I took a class from a female attorney in New York City, and it was not about learning the law. It was, what is your niche? Like, who do you serve? And so through that that six-week course, she was like, well, who, you know, 10 years, what have you been doing? (laughs) You know, and so I told her what I had been doing, and she was like, she goes, what does your email list look like? And I told her, you know, it was, it was a substantial email list that we had developed over 10 years. And she said, well, those are your people. That's who you serve. That's what you know. And those are the people, you know, and that's the language you can speak. And it was like a light bulb moment. It was so, I felt kind of silly because it was right there under my nose the entire time. 
and it took, you know, taking her class to figure that out. So that's really how I started my law practice. And that was 10 years ago. And I've been going strong ever since and not really ever looked back. So that's awesome. And I think that should be encouragement for all of you listening. And I know that a lot of you have unconventional career paths. Maybe you came from other countries and had to work in a job you didn't particularly like. And then you finally got onto the path you do like, or some of you have switched industries. So Angie's a great example of leveraging love of design. I mean, not necessarily that everybody has a love of design, but you know, leveraging different parts of her brain. So good for you. And tell us what is it like living in Southern Georgia and practice having this statewide? I was telling the audience you had three places where you practice in Georgia. I don't know. Do you also work with clients outside of Georgia? Tell us about that. Yeah, so so I'm so I'm from an area in southwest Georgia that or well I'm from southwest Georgia, which is not okay. an area that most think of when they think of Georgia. They always think of Atlanta, right? Okay. <laughs> so cool. I'm a I'm a I'm a suburb of Atlanta, about three and a half hours away. Okay. <laughs> closer, to closer to I'm Tallahassee. A suburb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm closer to Tallahassee, Florida. So um, but this is where I'm from and this is where I grew up, this area, and um, and it's also where my husband's from. So when we moved back from Michigan, we felt like it was important, you know, um, as we started our family to have a support system and we were able to do that and to have family members close by. And and so that was really the impetus for that decision. Didn't know how it would am- impact career and it definitely has. Um, but anyway, that probably was why I didn't start practicing right away, which ended up being a huge blessing. But so now I live here and technology has really come a long way in 20 years. And I can remember my husband 20 years ago saying like, well, if you don't want to practice like this, how is it that you want to practice? And I can remember telling him, I don't know, but I'll know it when I see it, you know, (laughs) and I really didn't know. And it was one of those things where the technology hadn't been created and I wasn't smart enough to think of all of that. But, but when I saw it, 10 years ago, I was like, okay, I see how I can make this work. And so I live here in Pelham, Georgia, and I have office space in Atlanta and in St. Simons as well. And then I have clients all over the country and beyond. I have clients as far west as Hawaii and in the Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands. And then as far north, I think Massachusetts is as far as I've gone. But those are all copyright and trademark clients. And so that's all based on federal law. And so I'm able to represent people all over the country and really outside of the country if they're trying to do, you know, copyright and trademark law within the United States. So that is so interesting. And I think it's, uh, yeah, the world has changed. I mean, the technology was created, we'll say 10 years ago, but after our lockdown, it is totally revolutionized. The whole way we think about where to live and where to work. Right. uh, One of the things about Charleston where I live Everybody loves Charleston, of course. It's the most, it's the best place on the planet to live, but not because I live here. But it was always like, well, what are you going to do for a living? Because the, you know, there's not a, it's not an international tech center. But now people can work for their companies in New York or New Jersey and live here. However, listen to this. This is a little gossip. This is in the, being recorded in September of 2022, and so the big. One of the big undercurrents that people 
talk about sometimes and sometimes it's really under the table is going back to work. Yeah. And most of the big companies have settled on two to three days a week. And still, even with only two to three days, people are still pushing back because they're so much more productive. And yeah, different. so there is a big bank in New York, I will not name it, who is telling their people, if you don't come into the office, we're going to cut your pay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where we are. But Angie and I both work for ourselves, so we yeah. don't have that problem. But that anyway, yeah. I just thought that was interesting that, you know, today we, everyone just envisions a different way of working and a different way of making that decision of where to work and where to live. But we need to get on topic because I wanted to talk to you about negotiating because yeah. I think you're the perfect person to help our audience be better negotiators because- we're, you know, my community, we're not the chatterboxes. We're not the, you know, just gifted the gab people. We're people that sometimes we feel a little bit awkward or we feel that it's obvious it shouldn't need to be stated. And and so, like, tell us a little bit about what do you think makes for good negotiating? Because I think, and I don't mean just negotiating a salary because it's yeah. competition for resources or you know, getting your kids to divide up the chores is another negotiation. I mean, we're <laughs> negotiating all the time. So what is your take on that? So this is something that I learned in law school. They were really big on what's called ADR, alternative dispute resolutions. So negotiating falls into that category, sort of mediation, arbitration, all of those things where you're coming to the table and you're not in a litigation lawsuit situation. So first thing you need is two two parties that are willing you know it that seems really obvious it kind of seems like duh but if both parties aren't willing to come to the table or if one's standing over here in the corner saying like no i'm not doing this then there really is like there's no negotiation so you actually first of all have to have two willing parties and that doesn't mean that they're you know in the instance where there's two children splitting up the chores, that doesn't mean they're super happy about it, but they at least have to come to the table, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is from each person's perspective, individually, you need to know what it is, what is your end goal? Mm -hmm. If you don't know your end goal, then you don't, you won't really know what to ask for or where to even begin. Because I mean, in negotiation, negotiation is sort of a dance back and forth. And a lot of times we have like maybe a list. Sometimes we have a list of a couple things. Sometimes we have a laundry list of a dozen things. But within that list, there's number priority, number one, number two, number three, and so on and so forth. And that priority number one may be the thing like that is my drop dead. I'm not giving that up no matter what. Right. Mm -hmm. But then some of these other things that are further down the list, those might be things that okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to bend on, or I'm willing to, you know, move to the middle or, or let go of just for the sake of hanging on to some of these things that are maybe up at the top. And so know what, what your end goal is, and then have sort of in your mind an itemized list. And like I said, it doesn't have to be, you know, 20 things. It could just be a few, right. but understand what that is and how the importance impacts you. Like, you know, is not, number one has to be the most important. And then, and then down from there, when you're negotiating, you also want to start. I always tell my clients to start high because you can always come down or you can always come off of whatever the, the less important points are. You can always give into those. 
But if you start where you've already given into those, then you don't have anywhere else to move towards the middle. So I always, if we're talking about negotiating money, I always say start a little higher than you think you should. Mm -hmm. But also keep in mind that you might not end up exactly on that number that you want, but you'll be closer if you start high. Right. Um, Like one thing I realized later than I should have, but you know, my parents didn't work in corporate, so I didn't know. But like when you get a job offer, you can actually negotiate and you're actually in a very strong position. So I tell all my clients, everybody listening, like when you get that offer, even if it's a great, ask for something else just to practice. Because I think, what is it about some of us who hate negotiating? We just want to just have like a prize, like it, you know, you know, we just pay the price and it just feels so uncomfortable for a lot of people. What do you think is behind that? I think you're right. And I think built into I don't know if it's our culture, society, or just like since negotiating began, you know, <laughs> beginning of time. I don't know. It's Adam and but, Eve or yeah. you, whoever they, whoever the two. Yeah, people. way back. But I think we automatically, when we hear the word negotiate, we automatically think, you know, have this idea of an adversarial, you know, engagement. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. I mean, in fact, I would say that it should probably should be the opposite because if you're negotiating, potentially you're negotiating to be able to work together, not to work away from one right, another. Right? Right, and so right. if you're negotiating, you want to have, you know, goodwill on both sides. You want to have, you know, both sides show up with the best interest of the whole at heart, even though they are probably trying to protect, you know, their own mm-hmm. respective interests. I understand that. But I think we automatically think, sometimes that it's this adversarial process and it doesn't always have to be it can just be a conversation you know if we that way yeah I know I know in the example of promotions and raises which you know changes and varies according to the company and the industry and the time you know how where you are in the food chain but I know from personal experience and experience of my clients, sometimes you just ask for it and you get it and you think, well, why didn't you give me that promotion if I deserved it? Well, you didn't ask for it. So I, right. you know. Right, and that's one thing I always tell, I say this to my children all the time. <laughs> this isn't legal advice. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. So, exactly. so, so there's no, you're not out anything by asking and and maybe the answer, you got a 50-50 shot, yes or no. Right, right. So, Right. And if you're asking for money, you know, you can always get a little bit less or a little bit more. But tell me, like, where do you see mistakes that people make in negotiating or or not being clear enough? Give us tell us a story where, you know, somebody didn't communicate well and what happened. I love these plane wreck stories to inspire us. Yeah, well, definitely. One example um, that I mentioned is starting, like starting low, because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you start low, then you have nowhere to go, but for even further down, even even lower. So, which, which gets you further away, probably from your actual goal. And you're going to feel so bad about it, right? Right. Right. You've undervalued yourself to begin with. And now they're saying like, oh, well, how about this then? And they've, you know, the other side's gone even lower. So now you've undervalued yourself even further. So that doesn't do wonders for 
self-esteem and, and confidence. I would say probably one of the biggest mistakes in negotiating would be being either overly vague or ambiguous. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes people think they're being really clever or smart by like being ambiguous or just being purposefully vague in negotiating. And sometimes that can backfire. You can say, I want to do this, but you're not really clear. And, and that's the problem with negotiating. I, I personally feel like if you're negotiating, you should be as clear, concise, black and white as you possibly can be. If you spell out, I want X, Y, Z, or I'd like to have X, Y, Z. The space where things get litigated or things fall apart is in the gray area. Mm -hmm. Right. What, you know, we use the word in the law, reasonable, a reasonable standard, you know, mm -hmm. and reasonable, what's reasonable to me may not be reasonable to you. Mm -hmm. So if you see that word reasonable, get somebody to define what they mean when they say reasonable, because that is always a space where, you know, there's going to be conflict or even worse yet, litigation. Right. And I, I don't know if you're seeing this in your, with your clients that things negotiating is, it feels different now in, in that as far as numbers are concerned, you know, inflation is a real thing. It's affecting some sectors more than others. My husband ordered a car part and the thing doubled in price, you know, from the beginning of August to the end of August. Of course, that's not universal, but th th to say that different sectors of the economy are being affected differently. Yeah. And, th and th that is also affecting the job. Some companies are still very short of people and some industries are laying people off. And then now the uh, where you work, how you work is also up for negotiations. What are you seeing any trends with your IP work or on negotiating or, or things being different now than they were before? I'm just curious. As far as there are a lot more in this, I think, I think this was a trend. It was beginning to happen prior to the pandemic, but there were a lot more collaborations, a lot more collaborative work. Mm -hmm. And you could see where, which ultimately leads to more negotiations, I guess is my point. Um, right. But, you know, since social media has taken off and people have figured out that they can leverage social media as an advertising slash marketing tool that is relatively inexpensive to, to leverage, people have figured out that if they collaborate, that moves them down the line, you know, a little faster. And it opens up new audiences that they might not have been exposed to almost, I don't want to say instantaneously, that's an over-exaggeration, but, but rather quickly, you know, if yes. they can get the negotiation piece down. And those who and those who have contracts in place or who, who, who understand how to negotiate, they, they are doing it much quicker um, because they, they know like, okay, this is what I need to have. This is what I want from this person. Okay. So this is my offer and let's go. Yeah. Okay. So more, you're seeing more collaboration. Definitely. Yeah. That's well, as I, you know, as I, I'm one of the people that's also collaborating more. It's very exciting uh, yeah. to, to break out of to break into, we'll say the product world. So we'll see how, we'll see how that goes. Uh, so Angie, so think about someone who's been working 
you know, 10, 15 years, done well, hard worker, high performer, always, you know, just on top of it. That's that's the people that are listening to this conversation. They're the high performers. They, you know, they are the go-getters. But sometimes we don't represent ourselves as well because we, it's boring or we think everybody should know, or we're just so obsessed with like solving the problems, getting the things done Mm -hmm. that we forget to remind people that, uh, hey, we got this done. So do you have any communication tips? Because I know you're a very good communicator on really representing yourself well at work. Hmm. That's a great question. I personally, this is something I use. <laughs> I think if you can always be relational and sometimes mm-hmm. that, that that's using a lot more words than maybe sometimes you want to use, but if yes. you stop to be relational and I'm not quite sure how to phrase this, but remind people of your value and maybe not like say, Hey, I'm valuable, but like in a relational sort of way, remind them of, you know, remember, remember when we worked on this and we were able to achieve that. Right. I think that's, I mean, that's a subtle way of, of reminding people, you know, but it's not also not pushy or in your face either. I love it. Yes. Um, I love that. That's really that two pronged approach, almost like two sides right. of, the, of the tool. One is being more relational. And, and I know that sometimes the chit chat especially with virtual meetings, it can feel is a little bit more awkward. It takes a little bit more effort, but definitely asking people about themselves, you know, checking in with people. That's how I would say is the most efficient way to be relational. And you don't want to talk about yourself so much, but asking about the other person, then sharing the good news, instead of telling people about your weekend, you say, I'm so excited that I finally got this deal signed or yeah. brought in this new client or fixed this bug in the issue or took care right. of these tickets. Like just sharing your accomplishments as good news. Right. 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 I think, I, I mean, that's what I tend to lean on and, you know, maybe, maybe they don't share in that, that excitement, but you know, but it's out there. And, and yeah, I, I think it, I like, you know, you and you and I and other business owners, we know when we, you know, land that big client or, a, a, you know, like I just, I told you about having the, I think I told you about this big high level training I'm doing with a large beer company. I mean, I'm like, I'm so excited. I can't believe yeah. it's like a dream. And oh my, at least to my face, everybody's like, yeah, Lord, that's great. Yeah. So it's yeah. letting people know, my, but I, I truly am just so thrilled about the news. So, I mean, you may not be that thrilled about every single accomplishment and not everything is a big deal, but I think right. it's good not only to represent yourself well to others, but to represent yourself to yourself. I think our work, since we're not working in factories, unless you work in sales where you're measured by a number, it can feel like you're doing all this stuff and you're not really seeing the results, you know, especially if you're in a larger company or even, you know, in in a smaller company, it, it takes time for things to come to fruition. So we can remind ourselves, hey, we planted the seeds, right. we watered them, we put the fertilizer on, you know, just not, it's not only other people that need to be reminded of, of our 
value and what we're bringing to the table, but ourselves. Right, right. Well, and I think in taking that step to be relational, um, that is in a sense, like you said, seed planting, you know? Um, because, oh, good, good analogy. You know, like I'm constantly doing, I'm constantly trying to build relationships, A, because that's how I get business, but B, because I actually care. So, and I think people can see the difference. Like if you're right. just building the relationship to get to the end goal, then it's, mm-hmm. it's a little hollow and eventually that will not stand. But if you're building the relationship because you actually care, whether you're a business owner or you're working for a, a corporation, then that, the relationship and the fact that you care eventually will rise to the top, I think. Yes. It, maybe, so, that, that, maybe that's like too Pollyanna, but I just, I've seen it in my life over and over again. Oh, all the time. I, I remember this very clear example when way back when I worked in a hospital, there were two guys that applied for a job in the technical IT part of the hospital. And they were, and there was one guy who was really more of a techie guy. And the other guy was more relational. Everybody loved him. He was so fun, funny, da, 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 da. And he's the one that got the job. And I was like, "Hmm." And, and that's just one teeny tiny example. And I've learned myself. I, when I started my business, I thought, well, I have a PhD and I can help you communicate better. Well, at the end of the day, nobody cares if they don't like you and if they feel like you're like, oh, Miss College Professor, Miss Hoity Toity, like that is not relational. I basically had to learn how to, I don't know, be interesting and fun and talk about things in a fun way and then business takes off. So that's cool. Right. Let's go into a myth or misconception about you can you can apply that to uh, intellectual property or negotiating. Like, what do you think that is? People think about either one of those that's wrong, and let's set everybody straight. Okay. Well, I think in general, people think that actually two things. Number one that this doesn't apply to me Mm -hmm. and number two it's boring or and those could be interchangeable it's boring and therefore it doesn't apply to me or it doesn't apply to me therefore it's boring either way it's all the same but you know whether you're a bit if you're a business owner the intellectual property definitely applies if you're if you're if you work in a corporation um, maybe the intellectual property doesn't apply but negotiating will apply Correct. For business owner negotiating and intellectual property. Right, right, right. So both things, yes. So in that instance, then then whether you say one or two, this doesn't apply to me. Okay, it does apply to you. So now right. number, number two, it's boring. Well, you know, hopefully, you know, there are some people out there that will make it engaging and interesting. I, I'm certainly trying to make that my mission in life. Um, And I can't help it. I'm only one attorney, but there are other attorneys that make it interesting and and can bring to the table why it's important to understand the art of negotiation. And, you know, if you own a business, intellectual property, but. um, Right. Yeah. I think that's true. It's also like, we feel like, well, of all our 29 priorities that that's not so important and it feels uncomfortable slash boring. And so we're not going to do it. Right. 
but it is the very thing. I mean, I tell people all the time, and this is, this is true for small business and big business. The two things that'll take a company down faster than anything is financial and or legal. Oh, true. So, <laughs> yeah. So <it's> fly. <laughs> yeah, that is, it doesn't matter what your size is. That is exactly the finance part or the legal part. Yep. And sometimes but, they go together. And so, yes, they do. So um, is there any question that I haven't asked you that you think would be interesting of of value to our audience who want to be, um, we want to be better communicators and negotiators and we don't want to be boring. What do you think? I think probably the biggest thing to keep in mind is, you know, you can have all the knowledge you can have all the degrees. We both we both have have that, right? Yeah. But you have to have the like no trust factor, especially. Oh no no! You have to explain that. That is so true because I know that at least half the people listening to this have said to me, "Well, I think I'm going to get another certification, Laura," and they already have twenty seven. Right. No. So, so give us so, let, and, and educate us what is so, the trust factor the-, so the like no trust thing is so important it may i mean of course you have to have the degree to you know for certain certain areas you know like well, law. you have to know you have to have credibility you have to have a marketable skill of right, some sort. right but someone once told me they said you can be an average attorney but if you don't know how to market yourself and tap into that like no trust then you will just be an, you will have an average pay. Mm -hmm. If you are an outstanding attorney, but but maybe I said that backwards. If you're an outstanding attorney, knowledge wise, and you have an average ability to connect that like no trust factor, then you'll always be in this sort of average category Mm -hmm. in in terms of earning income. But if the reverse is true, if you're an average attorney, an average, I don't mean like, like you don't do the work, but you're not like arguing in front of the Supreme Court. Right. You're you're competent, but you have this ability to market yourself in a way where people will like you, they want to know you, or they do know of you and trust you, then you will see your income change exponentially. I think especially in situations where you're providing a service. I mean, even with a product too, it's true. It's true across the board, but in particular with a service, and that's why I try to be relational is I need people to like me. I mean, people don't want to come to me if they don't like me, they don't. And then that means they don't want to have, they don't, they ignore something that they need to take care of, which is their legal. Right. And so I need them to like me and know me and trust me. And that enables me to do my job better if they do. So they don't care. I mean, yeah, they know I have a law degree, but they don't care that I have a second law degree. That doesn't mean anything usually to anybody that are my clients. It does mean something among my peers. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. aren't people. Those are not the people that pay my. They're business. not paying your bills. No. <laughs> no. And so I don't market to them. Like if I were, I, I don't market to them on purpose that way. I mean, in a conversation where, you know, everybody's kind of flexing their legal muscle, you know, I might at the end of the conversation say, you know, yeah, I have an LLM too, you know, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but right. it doesn't mean anything to, to just regular walking around. To a business owner or somebody who's negotiating a non-compete 
claws. Right, right, right. right. They don't care. So that like, no trust factor, I think is so vital. I mean, it, it takes time. It just, I mean, there's not, there's not a shortcut to doing it in my opinion. I mean, shortcutting it again is that surface chat that we all really just can't stay or I can't right. stay. But I mean, so then it takes time to build a relationship and to build a rapport with somebody and to build, you know, business contacts that are not just, oh, we're, we're connected on LinkedIn, but, you know, oh, I've seen you at this event and we've had this, we've had a discussion or, oh, we know, we have several people in common that we know. And that takes time to build up that type of networking and connection. It really does. And, and, and it's so true that it's no, that people have to know you, they have to know who you are. They have to know who did the work. Cause a lot of times I know some of you are doing the work and your immediate circle knows who's doing it, but outside of that, people don't know. So if they don't know you, they don't know if they like you and they don't know if they trust you because they just don't know, right. you know who you are. So that that is a challenge for <clears throat> someone who is on the shy or introverted side. So take it from Angie, just be more relational, be invest that time and energy in the relationships at work and that will pay off. So One other thing, good. Laura, I was going to tell you just when you're sitting there talking, I was going to add to this, a contact that one of, that my college age child has, he's a mentor of hers um, and he's been in the corporate world. He's not now, he's a consultant, but he was in, worked for a well-known entertainment international company. <laughs> Let's put it that way. One of the biggest, if not the biggest. And we were on a Zoom call with him and our daughter was on it as well. And because she had reached out to this, to this guy and they connected. And so he's mentoring her. And we had this discussion about it's who, you know, and actually he flipped it. He goes, it is who, you know, but it's who knows you. It's who remembers that you did the work or you can do the work or that you were the qualified person to do the job. And when he said that, I was like, Kali, that is so like, I was like, I learned something that day, but so true, right? And we're yes. always trying to, trying to like, we're always trying to like say, oh, we know this person and we know this person. But if that person doesn't remember me right, to hire you, then what good is it, right? Exactly. And when you are more interesting, even your email, if your email is a little bit better crafted, a little funny touch or, a, or just a whimsical word or just not so boring, you're, then they will have a much better chance of remembering you. So that's such a great opportunity. It's free. And yes, that being is not who you, is not only who you know, but who knows you. I love that. So Andy, out of everything you've created, you've created, you had a, a company, a, a creative company of products. And I know you're an attorney. I know you have worked in real estate, done some real estate deals. And so, so like, what are you most proud of that you've created? Well, I thought about this and cause I have, you know, when we owned the, our creative business, I did, I created literally thousands of designs and they're like, they're like little children. I love them. <laughs> I couldn't pick just one that I liked, but that's probably, probably what I'm most proud of is the network of relationships that I've built over time because it's taken time to build them but 
I get no, like, there's nothing that makes me happier than being able to connect one person to another person. And it doesn't mean that I get paid to do it, but I just like, if I know that this person will go well with this person and I can help make that connection, I love it. Oh, I, I want, I want the people I like to know the other people that I like. Right. And to connect with some purpose. And that's also true at a company when you know people in a different company or in the client base connecting people, being a super connector is super, super fun. So we're getting to the end of our time. Before I let people know how they can find you, we're going to do our rapid fire questions. There's a little thing that I picked up from another podcast that we <laughs> <you> mentioned <laughs> from a certain IP attorney we won't mention. All right. So where did you go on your last vacation? Coronado, California, near San Diego. Oh, well, yeah, I've heard it's spectacular. Yes, it was beautiful. What is your favorite dessert? Oh, I missed reading that one. <laughs> oh, gosh. So I love chocolate. So whatever the chocolate option is usually on the menu, that's what I choose. But if I have to choose my most favorite of all times, I would say a flourless chocolate tort with a raspberry oh. drizzle. Oh my gosh, that does sound good. All right, so what is your favorite store? Okay, so you know I like pretty things. I do. That's why I'm, whether, that's why I'm taking notes on what is know, when, store. Whether it's clothing or for one's home, I, I just, I really appreciate visually beautiful things. And this store is not necessarily a store that I've bought anything from, but I'm so fascinated by how she creates and she has a location in Dallas and in New York and it's called Nardos N-A-R-D-O-S designs and she creates so not walking around clothes necessarily but Mm -hmm. she creates these beautiful dresses that are worn to like events but what's so fascinating and this is probably the creative design nerd in me coming out like there, the detail and like how things are crafted in a hand, like like the details are hand sewn on or the ruffle, like the way the ruffles are created. I mean, that is so hard to do, like in layers, you know, and right. then the fabric choices. It's just like, it's like art on bodies. It's just beautiful. And oh, so- I can't wait to look. I know. I've, I've sent so many people like, I'm not sending this to you for you to buy it, but I mean, it's super bright colors. And then just the embellishments that she uses are just, I just love looking at it. So it's not anything, unless I become a mother of the bride, maybe one day. (laughs) And I say, no, but it's good to get inspiration. All right. What's your favorite type of music? I love seventies and eighties. Okay. All right. (laughs) What about movie genre? I like a good rom-com. I like rom-coms historical drama okay all right yeah and I like a good documentary oh yeah a good documentary is always good describe (laughs) your personal style in one word I'll say colorful Mm -hmm. I would agree that was a good one (laughs) what were you afraid of as a child I was just telling my husband this today so I can remember being five or six years old and telling my mom that I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to read and that I wouldn't be able to drive a car 
like both of those things seem like such big tasks as a five-year-old. I knew I'd be able to read, but like, what if I couldn't read this word? You know, like then the world would end. I don't know, but like that seemed like so insurmountable. And then just like, I'm not necessarily super gifted in motor skills and just working machinery. And so the idea of me operating a car, although I've done it pretty well so far, just, just seemed really complicated. <laughs> well, you mastered both of those. So that's so far, good. So good. Yeah. Yes. So do you collect anything? What would that be? I'm not really a super collector. I love good shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I, I don't, wouldn't say I have a collection of them, but like but I love interesting, unique pieces. Like if it's jewelry or shoes, accessories, like I love something that you don't see every day. And I will splurge if it's, if I think it's something that's like, huh, that's different. I've never seen that before or so. Cool. Well, this has been super interesting. And I would say, Angie, you're very inspirational to talk to. And I'm sure a lot of people want to follow you, want to see what you're doing, what you're up to. How do you want everyone to connect with you online? Sure. So you can find me at my website, angieavardturnerlaw.com. Relatively active on social media, um, on LinkedIn and on Instagram at angieavardturnerlaw. And I have a podcast that drops on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the Angie Avar Turner Show. So awesome. Awesome. That sounds awesome. So thank you so much. Thank you for sharing so generously your expertise. And, and uh, I hope everybody listening gets the, the picture of someone who is, has a kind of a dry profession in that it's legal and it's intellectual property, but she has so much personal style and, and the eye for detail. It's such a cool combination. And so all of you, like the engineers who like to, you know, create clothing or the product engineers who love to throw dinner parties, you know, and and all the derivatives of that, you know, combo of part of your brain is deep dive into the technical side and part of you loves design and creative. We are your people. So have a good day, everyone, and we'll catch you on the next episode.